に上がら関係ねえ<笑> Shall we begin? Into his coming I can do this all day Tear down this wall Hello, everybody, and get your cameras ready and welcome back to the Ikuzo Unscripted Podcast. We are ready to dive deep into the art of photography. Our guest is known for his iconic images that have graced prestigious magazines and movie posters. His creative journey and unique pro- approach have captured the beauty of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Matrix, Frontier, Harry Potter, and many more. Here we come, genuine, uncensored, and unscripted with world renowned photographer. Dennis Ilich. Dennis, how are you doing? And are you happy to be here with us today? Super happy to be here. Thanks so much for reaching out. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to chat with you guys. Um, and, you know, excuse any of you dropouts that we may have where, as we mentioned, we're sort of waiting for a sort of a tropical storm to hit uh, Los Angeles any moment. So, uh, but it's really good. I always enjoy talking about photography uh, and all of it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime and try to keep <laughs> to be safe during this interview, at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it is common for people from this series to migrate, like I spoke uh, with you prior to this interview, often as far away as they can, like Argentina, United States, Australia, and mm. your family roots are also from here. So I'm interested in why and when did your family migrate and are you glad that they did? Um, yes, you know, it's, uh, you know, and I've kind of done the same sort of thing, you know, like, uh, I've moved from, you know, I was born in Australia, but I moved to America. Um, but my parents, uh, came to Australia in, uh, the late, uh, late fifties, early sixties. Uh, and I think like everybody, you know, post a lot of things that were going on, you know, after World War II and, um, you know, and then. Korean War and then Vietnam War, all these sort of things. You know, the world's in, in turmoil and a lot of um, people were just looking for a better life, you know. And Australia had a, an immigration policy where they they were becoming industrialized in that era and they didn't have enough labor, you know. Uh, um, so they were bringing people over uh, every part of the world um, to fill the labor force. So they would actually you know, bring the immigrants over at no cost, you know, um, and, uh, uh, um, that's why Melbourne, you know, in particular, but a lot of Australia is, is very much a, um, a sort of multicultural country, you know, um, we have some of the best coffee in Melbourne, some of the best pizza in the world is in Melbourne. The biggest Greek community outside of Greece is in Melbourne. Um, huge Vietnamese community, Chinese community, Jewish community, Italian, Croatians, a lot of Croatians in my hometown as well, uh, which is where my dad is from and my mum's from the So they all came, you know, you know, my parents came with nothing, you know, literally that, that old thing with nothing but the shirt on their back. And that's literally what they had was the shirts on their backs. And my father built a very successful, uh, you know, cabinetry business and, you know, uh, and had a really good life. Yeah. And uh, every, you know, let me ask you this before that. Uh, when you were starting out in the industry, you tried cinematography and you pointed your attention in that direction again. But why did you swap yeah. from cinematography to photography? Um, I think, you know, I, 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 I tend to be fairly insular um, person and 
I, while I was enjoying cinematography initially with the smaller productions and music videos that I was doing, once I started getting into bigger films, like I shot one of the first digital films ever shot in India, in Bollywood. Um, and, uh, you know, being, uh, on a set with, you know, 50, a hundred, 200 people waiting for you to get your act together and get the lighting, you know, and, you know, keeping up the schedules and, uh, it was, I, I just found it a little bit, you know, there was a little bit too much attention on me sort of thing. And one thing I really enjoyed about photography was that it became more of a, a very much more intimate one-on-one experience with the subject. So I never walked away from cinematography altogether and I am doing more of it these days, um, again, but, uh, you know, photography was a way of maintaining a visual art that, you know, a self-taught visual art that I was capable of doing and um, it's on, but with a lot less static around me, if you know what I mean. You know, it was just kind of me and the subject and you know, maybe one assistant instead of, you know, directors, first assistant directors, our first our assistant camera operators, groups there, you know, like just, it was, it was just too, a little bit too busy for me, you know, and I just needed a little bit of a break from it more than Oh yeah, but uh, currently you have some upcoming projects in cinematography, so you kind of have, uh, you still have some spark for it, right? Oh, 100%, yeah. I mean, I I love moving pictures, you know, I love any sort of visual art, you know, you know painting, I love music as well, um, but I do love cinematography and, and I, um, you know, this year we started putting together a couple of film projects that were kind of on the road to getting up uh with the, a wonderful writer producer that i met uh last year and i'm working on a documentary with her at the moment as well as two feature films which as you know will may i mean i know everything has come to a huge sense for now because of the the writers and actors strike that has shut down the industry so it's back to doing uh more photo shoots you know to pay the bills so <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I mean, uh, you're speaking about photography. So you you now mentioned your love for visual arts as a whole. Uh, mm-hmm. But let me ask you this: maybe this is like a two-part question, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. w- w- what is art, in your opinion, and uh, w- how would you put photography into that definition if you have one of the art itself? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, always an interesting and difficult question because um, art is perception. You know, what is art to some somebody's vision is not to another. You know, uh, and we've always skirt the boundary of being art. You know, being true artists or commercial. Um, but I'm learning that, funnily enough, uh, right now myself because I've always considered myself a uh, more of a commercial photographer, you know, like I, I take portraits and I take editorial portraits. I actually, for a long time, I did a lot of um, industrial sort of photography, architectural photography back in Melbourne. Um, uh, you know, I, I photographed the Air Force, you know, for the recruitment program or photographed factories and BHP and Blue Steel. Uh, so I was always in that genre, but, you know, deep inside, I always felt myself as a creative person. Right now, I'm as a portrait photographer and a commercial portrait photographer, photographing actors and business people and so forth. Um, I'm trying to 
um, work to the side to create fine art photography and uh, trying to define what that is within myself is interesting. I, I have a exhibition that I'm putting together for Leica in Vienna uh, for 2025. And uh, I've done a few exhibitions on, you know, Europeans and Viet, you know, especially Viennese, where they're, they're uh, very art-minded and they were like, you know, okay, we've seen all your beautiful portraits of people, but now we want you to create something specifically from your heart um, as an artist for this. So I'm actually exploring that right now. And it's, it's not easy, you know, I'm trying to integrate my passion for photographing humans uh, and, and exploring with the human condition, you know, and the, the, the male and the female psyche in a way photographically and representing that photographically in an art form. So that's kind of the agenda in my head and having transpose that to an image is, is really interesting. And, um, funnily enough, as I said, art is, is perception and interpretation. So as I take these pictures, I'm having to, um, as a well-established and confident photographer, I'm having to show these to people that I respect and saying, what do you think of this? You know, uh, and, and being terrified that, that they don't like it, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, that's a very long question for, for complicated, a uh, long, very long answer to a complicated question, but what is art? I'm actually trying to work that out right now as we speak, you know, and actually I'm just going to turn my air conditioner off over all set so. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, um, that's, you know, kind of what I'm, I'm going through at the moment is just trying to figure that out. Yeah, well, it's uh, like the quote, the picture the, tells the thousand words, but you are still trying to yes. find which thousand words you are going to say. But uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. can you tell me, because every artist has something, either he himself or either critics or experts, general public, considers his biggest achievement. And which uh, image would be, would you label as your magnum opus? Or is it something that you are still trying to, to make? Um, the, the, uh, there's, there's kind of two answers to that question, I think. Um, and one of them for me, and it kind of goes back to, to the previous question is that I think we're, uh, as an artist, we're always, always learning and always exploring. And I've always said this to, to people, the minute you think, you know, it all, um, it, it's kind of over, you know, um, I, I learned so much from the the perspective of even my assistants you know um to people that i hold as mentors everybody has got a relevant point of view um and i think probably as far as um public consumption goes uh the, my favorite piece uh and because it's sort of steeped in an interesting background as to how it came to be would be the the entwined photograph of um, Trisha Helper and Katie Sackhoff and it's a it's a it's a nude um, uh, of two best friends that was taken um, a few years quite a few years back but it was you know it was the genesis of that photograph was me really being a fish out of water because I'd never photographed a nude before in my life and that image kind of has been one that I'm defying for like in the Leica community and everything. And so in actual fact, it's being auctioned in Vienna in November at a, at a very prestigious Leica auction. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that one 
is the one that everybody knows me for. I mean, I've done projects, uh, a lot of high profile uh, projects with a lot of pro high profile actors and, you know, you, you get beautiful shots of these wonderful people because they're really easy to photograph mm -hmm. well, you know, but, but this one, which is called Entwined, I think it's probably, um, the closest thing that I've ever accidentally done, um, uh, that could be categorized as an art photograph, you know, or an artist photograph. And it's, it's also, um, you know, uh, one of my best selling photographs as well. So it's why it's kind of what everybody likes to, um, to show when I, when I have, uh, those on so forth. And you can find that pretty easily if you Google my name and just hit entwined or Trisha Helper and Katie Sackhoff. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's out there. Maybe they make an NFT out of it and you get even more. Financial is well, here, here you go. So, uh, is it are you um presenting this podcast as a visual thing or is it just audio? Uh, both uh, audio and visual. Yeah. yeah. So I'll show you something when um on the camera just in case. But we are working on the idea of NFT, even though NFTs are are in a world of uh of, in an interesting place with you know all those um you know, whatever they call angry ape NFTs that people pay $200 million for worth like $50 now. So yeah, uh, NFT is in a strange place, but so this is the actual photograph, right? Let me see if I get, so there you go. I'm just showing that. Um, and it's a side profile of these two best friends uh, holding um, each other. Um, and so I, my business partner, who's the, extraordinarily talented beyond comprehension in everything like he knows everything and does everything he actually created this amazing 3d print out of out of a 2d image like for him to interpret everything the hair the hands all the inner parts that you don't see i mean you can't see the detail this is like there are toenails on the toes right it's just crazy um and it's such a beautiful piece um and, you know, this represents like countless hours of work to go from a flat 2D image to create this interpretation. It's absolutely amazing. So this is going to be the positive that we're going to create a mold for and we're going to create an NFT of that for which the first three tiers we're going to have. There's going to be a solid gold, a silver and a, a bronze version of this um, along with, uh, with the NFT. So NFTs always sell well when you have uh, an incentive of an actual rare physical print uh, of something or a rare physical item for the first. Or you actually, when you sell it, they, they, everything goes into a competition and randomly out of the 10,000 people that buy the NFT, three of them will get one of these. So uh, it's interesting that you pick that up. It is something that we're they're working on at the moment. But as I said, it's a strange time for NFTs at the moment and, uh, and crypto. So we'll see how we go. But cool project. Oh, yeah. Really cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, you know, you can imagine for me, I'm, I'm a photographer and I take pictures and I see my stuff on a computer and sometimes every now and on a magazine. And then I was approached uh, to, you know, he asked me to, you know, give him images, all the images that I had that represented any other angle of the girls so he could see the, the body build and type. And, and then, you know, to turn up to a meeting and come back and show me statue based on one of my photographs uh it, it's just mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing yeah it's just such a beautiful thing so 
um, here. So, so it's interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah, we as well need some guy with uh, similar skills because if you see on the mm. third screen where you have this symbol above our logo, it's something that yes. we are trying yes. to make into 3D. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it will also, be... hopefully, it will make us millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's all the thing is, all, uh, you know, NFT is all that. It's about passive income. We like to know that um, money is going into our bank while we're asleep, you know. But, you know, as you know, what you do is creative too, you know, and you're talking to creative people. And one of the hardest things for people who are really passionate about their work in any creative industry is always leveraging what you do into money. You know? And yeah, uh, you can't you can't ignore the money because that's what helps you live to be able to do what you do. So, it makes the world go around. Being, uh, absolutely, absolutely. As long as I can pay the rent. Uh, and and buy nice lens when I want to. I'm happy, you know. I've been around and enjoyed life, and I'm just happy to be able to do what I do. I always say that if I won the lottery and won twenty million dollars, you know, um, I would just keep doing what I'm doing and not charge anybody for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, tell me how important is still like still photography for motion media, like movies and TV series, which are mostly involved as commercial photographer. Because it's more than just for posters and magazines, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, the still these days, uh, you know, the unit stills photographers on movies and TVs uh, have a, a very important job, and that's also to um, just provide a story of the way a big project that could be something that's much loved uh, genre um, is being made. So, of course. Uh, photographers create the key art to create for the posters and also the magazine articles that come out. But now, these days, the social media is, is one of the number one forms of advertising, having um, beautiful images to be presented in progress as, as the films are being made um, is, is super important as well. And in, in a number of cases, um, in two particular cases in Star Trek, you know, um, there was an issue with um the you know like they'd they'd done done their shoot and realized that um they hadn't captured uh with that actor who was then gone they hadn't managed to capture the the images that they needed of that person in order to create um the the post-production special effects they really really needed highly detailed images of their faces and i'm a very comprehensive shooter i don't kind of go out there do my job while they're, you know, doing their thing and then sit down on a uh, Apple box and get on Instagram. Like if, if we're not shooting, I will photograph, I'll be walking around set getting pictures of every nut and bolt and screw. And, you know, it's just my love for the, you know, especially if it's a show that I love. And with this particular actress, I photographed her every corner of her, you know, and my images were, ended up being, um, critical in them being able to do their the post-production with so there's a lot of levels as a photographer depending on how you do your job that is very important to the filmmaking process but very by and large you know publicity is everything you know advertising is everything um so when you know i would do a, a shoot for example in the harry potter days that there would be a point where 150 magazine covers would come out with my photographs on them because 
it's all about that actor and all about that time of that film. So um, it is it is a very important um, business, and it's also important that um, as somebody that's on a set, uh, rather than you know a lot of you know I've seen a lot of other photographers and they just shoot what the A camera is getting. Uh, I love crawling around in little you know tunnels and getting up on ladders and getting different angles and just giving the studio lots and lots of variety of beautiful stuff so that they can actually even make a book about the work you know about the shoot so or the the show so it's a lot of fun um set photography is a lot of fun yeah i mean now that you mentioned also uh, advertising with, with films i know you did the uh... Uh, photo shoot for uh, McLaren, right? Uh, for five seventy as a model. Yes. Uh, yes. Now that yes. obviously advertising goes huge with uh, that kind of a car yeah. and that kind of an. Ex- what was that experience like uh, to shoot for a McLaren? Uh, yeah, because that, it's, it's an art piece in and of itself. Yeah. That, that, and and I created a video uh, for them as well. Um, that, that was uh, unsolicited, you know, um, it was a really interesting, um, situation because, um, McLaren, um, rang up Leica and they said, Hey, you know, we've got this 570S coming out next year. Uh, and we've got, you know, the, the pre-release car here. Do you have a photographer that you think would be great to give the car to for a little while? Um, and that would just you know, drive it around Los Angeles and uh, take some pictures of it, you know, in the everyday life sort of thing. So I think they were kind of expecting just somebody to take iPhone pictures of it. And of course, <laughs> I, I took that car and I, I had that, I was supposed to have that car for like two days, you know, and... So you definitely took McLaren. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it was really funny. The, the, um, the, the the manager um who gave me the car ended up having to go to an event and he he rang me up and said look i i'm really sorry to do this to you but is it okay if you keep the car for a few more weeks because i can't put it back to it and i was like oh geez i don't know um so i've got this car that nobody has seen you know so i'm getting stopped every everywhere i stop to take a picture of it. people that no cars saying they haven't seen one of these before and I took it out to the the um, lake bed and did you know beautiful drone video from it. You can find that on my Instagram, that one minute video. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And those photographs ended up being published in the um, McLaren magazine. And after that, they gave me the GT Spider and they gave me the 720s. I was working, <laughs> I was working on a on a film out in Palm Springs, um, you know, and Joshua Tree. Uh, with uh jason momoa and that's when they gave me the 720s and i i was literally driving this the 720s with the uh in the desert you know through sand like a you know i'm saying like a four by four but it is a four drive car and you know all the all these cars have got um the front end they've got a lift a riser you know you hit a hit a button and the front end goes up 20 percent high higher so that you can get over curbs and driveways so i'm driving through Slide the car sliding sideways, and I opened the scissor doors, and all this sand pours out. It was just crazy, but the car was uh, the car was just um, it, the 720 is just a rocket, you know, it's a 700 horsepower car, um, and uh, it, it's just a lot of fun. I really, I learned, you know, I've never been into supercars and hypercars. You know, I've got people I know that have got Ferraris and Lamborghinis, and 
you know, I've been in, in the mall just for some fun here and there. And I've found a real passion for McLaren, you know, because it's got that um, Southern Hemisphere history. You know, the, the car, the company was a New Zealand company. Uh, McLaren um, was a race car driver in New Zealand uh, who literally invented the whole concept of putting an inverted wing on the back of a car to give it downforce. So when you see Formula One cars with wings on the back of them, that that's all. Uh, I think Bob McLaren um, invented that, and eventually the company moved to England. But and McLarens are essentially like NASA nerds building supercars. You know, there's there isn't the pretense uh, that you know Lamborghini and Ferrari have. You know, as beautiful as they are, I just find McLarens just really beautiful scientific works of art. You know, that's what I love about them. So yeah, so yeah, to be this sort of a little bit this sort of side you know, part-time ambassador for them. Uh, and every now and again, they'll give me a car, a little while to drive around and uh, play with is, is a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, but I think uh, uh, yeah. besides, obviously, it's a supercar, like from a limited car standpoint, McLaren F1 yeah. is, uh, I still think, yes. the greatest car of all time. And I think still the oh, fastest God, yeah. car with the naturally aspired uh, engine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that, that's a really special company from that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, that first car that they came out with, you know, with three seater, um, oh yeah. With one with the front and two in the back. Yeah. 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 And I, I remember, you know, cause like I think Elon Musk has had one of those and he crashed it and Rowan Atkinson had one of those. And, um, I, I remember I was doing, um, I think earlier this year, I was doing a, uh, a um, was it late last year? It was early this year or late last year. I was doing, um, working um, on the show in Jay Leno's garage. You know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, wow. Nice. Yeah. And so, you know, I t- we turn up to the garage with the crew and everybody and, you know, the guy's got like, you know, the, the garage is the size of a football field. You know, you, 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 you can't even see where it ends. Right. He has some and cars, just, they say. Yeah. Yeah. And like 180 motorbikes. And, and one of the guys said, wow, there must be hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cars in here. And <laughs> the, the, the first, the first three cars on the left, right near the roller door is, um, a, a McLaren, like a P1 F1 and a 720 SSA. Dude, just the first McLaren we're looking at is worth $25 million, <laughs> you know, not to mention <laughs> the second one, you know, uh, not the, you know, and then the, the 720 is like, so there's literally $30 million of cars in the first three cars. So I think it's worth the whole collection is worth more than a couple of hundred thousand dollars. So that was pretty funny. Yeah, and I can imagine you just walking through those cars and you go, oh, I, I wrote those, this one, this one as well. Yeah. <laughs> and just make yeah, that yeah. job. Yeah, there's a few. Well, what, once, once you start getting into the classics, though, you know, like mm-hmm. beautiful old Mustangs and that, they're, they're the sort of cars I love. And, you know, I, I can't remember. Cars, I can't remember if Leno had uh, actually one of those Bugattis from the 20s. Or it was maybe Ralph Lawrence. One of those two had one of those yeah. Bugattis from the 1920s. That's like a yeah. It it probably 30, 40 million. Easy. Yeah, I you know I can't remember seeing seeing it there, but I it, it's very likely because he's really into the old old stuff as well. Like he had old fire engines in 
and things like that that are being restored. So it's very likely, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not a collection for the weak at heart. I mean, you know, the, the, those cars are so, uh, you know, so amazing that, you know, there's another building next door, which I think he just has full-time people, that uh, mechanics that just keep the cars, you know, the batteries charged and the cars clean and, you know, uh, making sure that they get turned over so the oil doesn't settle and, and so forth. So there's literally a full-time, you know, you know, job looking after his cars. Which I wouldn't mind doing. One of the things also that I wanted to ask you about is, uh, obviously, today technology is moving so fast, and uh, I imagine in your industry also it, it affects your industry and your work. Uh, so tell yeah, me how absolutely. Techno uh, technology affected, uh, say, this change. Uh, you, in the terms of like uh, when you started, I I assume that uh, your the cameras were different, the techniques were. Uh, much less refined and now obviously it advanced mm -hmm. so much did uh, did you have the period where you had to adapt to it or it was seamless to you so to speak yeah i think you know technology um changes and increases you know very very quickly but it is progressive you know so there wasn't any shocks to the system i i kind of got into the photography even though as we all did as kids, maybe we did it at school or I dabbled in it, um, you know, like when, when we had film cameras, you know, I had a little Ricoh and a little Olympus, you know, um, everything that we take with our iPhones now, we were taking with little still cameras with a roll of film, but I was never really serious about it. And then I kind of got into photography when the first digital camera, the first real digital camera came out. So my first camera was like a, uh, a Canon uh, 10D, which was a six megapixel camera you know um, wow. and uh it, you know it costs like you know five thousand dollars for the body sort of thing and so i bought that camera and a lens and and it was just progressive it was like okay the 20d just came out and so 20 12 megapixel and then uh the 5d come mark one comes out and that's a 24 megapixel so it, you know i think from a uh just from a consumer you know uh, getting people to buy things for no good reason um the whole <laughs> advancing technology of of um of cameras was always sold to the general public as more megapixels is better more megapixels is better and there's kind of nothing could be further from the truth these days you know you're destroying so, apple's um, marketing I, strategy right now <laughs> yeah exactly exactly we got to get an iphone 15 i don't know why but we just got to get it um more pixel and uh <laughs> In more pixels yeah uh but i i think um you know it's it's one of those things where uh where the camera the camera is the camera you know and it's, uh, for me i learned it was all about optics the lenses were the most important thing which is why i eventually transitioned over to leica you know because there are no better optics in the world in any way whether it's cinematography cinematography still photography Leica is is you know god you know they invented the whole concept of putting a can of film in a camera and taking pictures of it you know um so for me the 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 actual electronic technology has just been a, a gradual thing where where i've actually gone from using my 47 megapixel Leica again because i i need all that extra information which i don't and I've gone back to the 24 megapixel Leica, you know, um, because 
uh, it, it actually Leica created a, a, a superior sensor that was less pixels and therefore you know I'm not taking 100 megabyte files you know every time I press the button once you know so um, but the glass is the glass is the glass you know so where the the technological change has been really um, making a huge impact literally within the last few months uh, but always has just been the improvement in things like Photoshop and Lightroom and Premiere and After Effects you know as you know the software the the increasing power of the software always drives the computer sales because within two upgrades or three upgrades of Premiere uh, of of Photoshop your computer isn't strong enough to handle anymore so you got to get you know spend another four thousand dollars on a Mac you know but in specifically in the last few months you know because of AI here we go down that track you know um the the AI um post-production and the retouching in Photoshop has decreased you know I've always had trouble finding people to help me with posts you know um doing in any job think photographically 20 to 30 percent of your job is being out there taking the pictures the rest of it is you know sitting here behind the computer you know um and i would always look for help and it was really hard to find people that were committed to you know that you could even mentor that were committed to to doing that work you know they'd realize wow this is a hard job i you know i don't have enough time to go out and party now you know, so I, I always fell back on me to be a one-man band and do everything myself. And the changes, you know, I literally want to do a tweet today thanking Adobe for one of their latest improvements. The the AI has dropped my post-production workload by 60%, you know, and it's just going to get more and more and more, you know. Like there are tools there. There's, um, there's a new tool in Photoshop called the Remove Tool. Yeah. Um, and you just, you know, like I can see this microphone stand in front of your face here and I can just paint over that if this was still, and it would literally fill everything else in perfectly. So, you know, it's, it's effective only 95% of the time, mm. you know, which is incredible. <laughs> but I, I, I was just looking at a photograph, a behind the scenes photograph, um, that I was giving to a client that had me in a taking picture of the client and the studio had power cables everywhere and, and light stands and sometimes that stuff is good. This time in particular is pretty ugly and I was just looking at how I would have to rebuild his shoulder and his ear um, when I removed that city stand out of there and, his, and I knew that this was three or four hours of work, you know, to get this photograph to look the way I wanted to do and the remove tool turned that into a five-minute job. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. I have no no issues with AI. I freaking love it. I love it so much. Yeah. I can't begin to tell you. But I do because I <laughs> I'm a graphic designer and I use Photoshop daily. Mm. And they and when they yeah. introduce this AI tool and I just hit the prompt yeah. and it did all my yeah. job and why am I even here? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah exactly. The what is this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. And and look, you know, for me, not, it's not being a design person, it's being a person that is just um, creating images of the real world and using these tools to, to clean things up. So for me, what, you know, if that, if I get a better broom and a better hammer and a better nail, that's, that's the way I, I see it. I see the problem with creatives, but it's still, this is where that question comes back on you about, you know, your business and it, 
as you know, um, knowing how to use those tools and not do things like people think too much is if, if enough is great, too much is even better. And it's not, you know, so your knowledge as an actual designer and artist is going to be the art of subtlety, you know. And then the other thing that I found, you know, using mid-journey and everything like that, I, I learned that, man, I, I do not have a really good vocabulary or my command of the English language could use a lot of work, you know, um, because people, it's fascinating. There is actual tangible value in prompts, you know. So I'm trying to do things and it's coming out crap, you know, and then a friend of mine, Neville Page, who you may have heard of, he's like one of the, um, um, you know, really incredible um, visual effects artists, you know, preeminent superstar in the world of post-production creating aliens and, uh, you know, he created the architects in Prometheus, he created the Klingons and stuff. And the guy's just off the charts and he just sent me blocks of text and he said, try this. And it changed everything, you know. And I was like, wow, I would actually, with the project I was trying to do, I would actually pay for that paragraph of words in the way you've said them, you know. So there's a whole secondary industry in there and in knowing how to ask the right question, you know. And that comes from being the expert in your field already as a graphic designer. You can see if I said, okay, uh, you know, today I, I worked at, you know, Starbucks and I was still at school. I said, I'm going to start a graphic design industry just using mid-journey and AI. The stuff I would create would probably be crap. You know what I mean? Because I don't have that level of knowledge that you have in that sense of style and design and all that. So I think it's me trying to say there's, we've got to throw a positive spin on everything. You know, it's, uh, it's because, you know, everything has always been about adapting. You know, this is here to stay. Um, everybody said photography is over. Forget it. Digital cameras have ruined everything. You know, the art of film and being in a dark room and, and smelling carcinogenic chemicals is true art, you know, and photography, that's it. It's finished. Uh, and and then Photoshop came out and shut down the dark room and said, well, that's it. Phot photographic art is over. It's yeah. all garbage now. And it's not. It's just changed a little bit, you know. You've just got to go and look at what we're doing now. We're going back to shooting with film again, you know. Um, we're going back to vinyl records again. Is to, uh, I, I see more. How, when's the last time you were walking around town or anything and you saw a CD? I haven't seen a CD in five years, but I see vinyl I'm records here. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, you know. So it's uh, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, but I mean, look, the influence they are, that AI have because uh, I don't know if you know, but. Secret Invasion, uh, Disney's Marvel, uh, newest uh, TV series. It was uh, it mm. whole intro is made by AI. Have you maybe catch that? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. But yeah. And and you know, it's a that's another art form too. That um, and I maybe I'm going beyond that, but there was a whole business of artists who physically created the introduction of movies. You know, like the you know the the James Bond intros with you know the women swimming around and the gun all that was manually done laying film plates over film plates over artwork over painted artwork over animations that that all those people it was the end you know because all the stunning computers came along um and and took that away but then you look at the amazing intros that they create like the flipping comic books for marvel movies you know like the artwork like the introduction of the movie 300 and the end credits of 300 like those intros for these films 
are pieces of art in themselves, which there was no capacity to do that in the old days, you know, so, but I haven't seen the one you were talking about yet. So I will look into that. Check it out. Um, and that was all done with AI. Yeah. You're saying. Yeah. Complete intro was made by AI and it's so obvious. Wow. That's what the problem Mm. is, but you know, Mm. yeah, but I mean, uh, technically AI cannot create anything new. Yeah. Uh, it no. can gather the in- information that already exists, uh, but in whatever form that information is, but yeah. the humans are ultimately creators. Yeah. You always got to feed the, you got to feed the, gods. the, the animal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, until we get to the point where they become self-aware and then, you know, that's, uh, one, once the robots start fixing themselves, you know, oh, yeah. uh, but, you know it's war. a brave new world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up, you know, I grew up in the seventies, you know, the, the original Yul Brenner, Westworld, uh, all that sort of stuff. I, I'm looking forward to the robot revolution. It will be interesting. <laughs> I love science fiction turning into science fact. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it will be tough times then. If yeah. All the science fiction. Yeah. Come, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it does. I mean, you know, science, science fiction is, I don't, I don't think, I think, you know, we should you know, sci-fi is sci-fi. It's a great term, but it, it really all science fiction is, um, especially when it's written by um, incredible authors on you know who are you know scientists themselves, like Hanlon and all these guys. All it is is predictive. You know, it's um, predictive science rather than fictional science because literally everything in the original 1960s Star Trek, besides a warp drive and a transporter is real, you know, the communicators, the iPads, um, everything, um, lasers, everything is real now, you know, um, and we're already working on transporters and we're already working on the concepts of, you know, the high-speed spacecraft. All that stuff is going to come true, you know, so I think um, highly intellectualized robots uh, and AI intelligence will get there eventually, you know, it just depends on whether it gets there with our control or randomly if something happens and all of a sudden, you know, the internet comes to life and we're getting into existential crisis now. <laughs> well, we, we should look at this documentary. We just don't know it at the mm. moment, you know, like, uh, yeah. And we spoke about these older models of cameras and or, they are called analog cameras, right? And my mind was fucking yeah. blown away. Because one of our mutual friends is also a friend is also a photographer, and he's taking the, mm-hmm. those pictures with analog uh, camera. And I have my grandfather's mm-hmm. camera, Canon at six hundred and something something like that. I think it's from the sixties, yeah. seventies, yeah, yeah. and it's taking beautiful pictures even today. And I was just wondering yeah. how this doesn't even have megapixels. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, you know, the, the megapixel of, uh, all, you know, a, a roll of stuff, yeah. you know, it's, uh, I, I'm always staggered when I go, say, to the Leica gallery and there'll be a show of um, a famous rock photographer uh, and they'll have these massive prints um, that were all shot on small film cameras or like Leicas and things like that. And uh, it, it's, um, you know, and you can see the beautiful grain structure in there, but the shots are really crystal clear and sharp and uh it's uh you know and it's, it goes back to that old um thing with vinyl records too you know that beauty of that uh, there's a analog sound that that's created that's you, you can 
you can have any any sort of engineering and AI try to replicate that, and it just you know there's nothing like putting a needle on a record and going through a valve amp, you know. And that photography is incredible. I mean, the the density of of an image ca- captured on that film plane is is amazing. And and I've kind of gotten going back into it a little bit myself. I just bought my second analog camera um, recently. Um, I've got a traditional rangefinder, and I just bought. I, I I kind of am a little bit of an ambassador for Leica for their workhorse camera called the SL. Um, and the SL is kind of like the you know standard sort of you know thirty DSLR style um, camera. And um, when I was in there, I went to one of their pre-owned um, uh, outlets, and I found the original SL um, from the I think it's probably from the eighties, uh, and, and it's just a beautiful analog black paint camera. So it's actually painted with a black acrylic, but it's got bra it's brass underneath, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, and, and it's like, there's no, um, ground plane or split focusing on it. So when you look through it, you've just got to try to see that it's in focus. There's no assistance. And I actually have really terrible eyesight. So it's going to be interesting, um, to work with that. But I thought I needed to own the original camera of the version that I'm an ambassador for. And, I just find that whole, just that, that, you know, I should pull it out, just that the sound that it makes when you hit that shutter, all those mechanical parts moving and the mirror going up and the shutters going off. It's just beautiful, you know, it just vibrates through your whole body. It's fantastic. Um, but, you know, the beauty of of stills is it's, it's hard to beat. And uh, I, I don't use it um, as my primary means for my job, but if I'm shooting somebody... I'm really excited about shooting. I'll always do my work and grab a couple of stills with the film camera and then go back to my work and then grab a couple. So I just have that version of them. And uh, I'm always surprised at how, you know, milky and satiny and smooth and beautiful those photographs are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they, they, then they always have a little bit almost of history with them. They carry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And clients love seeing them too, you know, because everybody's working in the digital world today. Oh, yeah. Well, regarding your work, uh, like we can see Charlie Hunnam in your background and you work closely with countless... Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Should we no, sign an NBA? <laughs> that's okay. There we go. He's a beautiful man. So, yeah, I've just been working yeah. with him uh, in the last couple of weeks. So, um, yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry, you're saying you're probably seeing my Lego. You can see I'm not not oh, yeah. a grown man. You know, work, my work. Neither me, I my Lego and my action, my action figures over there. <laughs> yeah, I saw the video with Homelander on your Instagram. Oh yes, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I love uh, I love the boys. It's such a great show, and uh, I've worked with Caleb and um, with the uh, oh, yeah. great great subject to work with. Yeah, yeah and uh, regardless, sorry, you were saying. Regarding the people that you work, uh, actors, musicians, all those kinds of celebrities, each one is special in and interesting in, in their own way. But who did you want to work with the most? Well, you made, before you say anything, you made Jason Momoa in every one of your shots as a pure legend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Jason's always, Jason's um, a, an interesting one to work with because um, 
uh, I, I've only ever worked with him in a capacity of being on film sets and TV sets, uh, you know, like on location. So I've never, you know, we, we were actually about to go to Hawaii to do a photo shoot, like a big advertising photo shoot. And it was like in March, 2020, uh, and then it got shut down because of COVID and it, it never came back, unfortunately. So Jason is, uh, I've always worked with him on set, uh, and he's kind of focused on the job. So it's always very hard to get his attention, um, and a focus for you to do a photograph for him while he's working on a role. So you, I, I always feel almost like I'm annoying him when I say, Hey, can I just grab a shot? And he's, and he's like, is he going to hug me or is he going to punch me? I'm not sure. You know? Yeah, totally. So, you know, we're, you know, I love the guy. He's fantastic. I'm going to have good, good fun. Um, but a lot of the shots that you see of him, uh, are in situ shots and he has, you know, like when he's waiting, he'll go into a very introspective mode of getting ready, ready for the scene. And I've learned that that's when you, so you've got to wait around for him all the time. You go bang, 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 you get those beautiful shots, you know? Um, but I think, you know, I think, you know, the pinnacle of my joy in life of photographing was working on Frontier with him because mm-hmm. it took me to something I was passionate about. I love cold weather. You know, I'm not a hot weather person, which is I'm probably living in the, probably the worst city in the world for somebody who likes the cold, 24 hour sunshine in Los Angeles. Um, but we were, you, you can for months, you know, when we went to England, it was at the beginning of the 50 year storm in Newfoundland, it was minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit, you know? Um, so we were working in, in dangerously cold conditions. And for me, I was so happy doing that. It was just, you know, the best time in my life ever, you know, what was making other people miserable was making my heart really happy. You know, um, I think. Yeah, it, it's interesting because for me, it, at my age, I started photography very late in life, you know, um, and, you know, I was in my mid-40s when I picked up a still camera for the first time. And um, so every everything I get to do, you know, I spent most of my life in Australia and all these things that I love, like Star Trek or um you know, I love Anas said or Seal. I grew up with these songs, you know, um, but they were made on the other side of the world, you know, and there was no internet. So the idea of me being able to work on these shows or work with these people was like, I, like thinking one day I'm going to work on Mars. You know, it was an impossible thought, you know. So for me to go from um, literally, uh, you know, when I took a, a little bit of a, a break to the cinematography, I went back to working in retail just to clear my head. So literally working in, you know, store uh, selling cameras and CD players to being, um, you know, like, uh, a close family friend with somebody like Alanis and her husband, Solai, and being, you know, like their trusted photographer, um, photographing the seals album cover working you know photographing Liv Tyler and Orlando Bloom photograph being Daniel Radcliffe's kind of the photographer for Daniel Radcliffe for five years photographing you know introducing Jason Momoa to photography you know um uh and you know photographing Carl Urban who's in my favorite show of all time photographing Edward James Olmos on Battlestar Galactica and having him become one of my dearest friends who I love dearly and then photographing Christian Katie 
uh, all this stuff is just, um, it's still like a dream to me, you know? So mm. I can't tell you who my favorite thing is because I love each and every experience as much as the next, because it's such an incredible thing to happen, you know? And, um, you know, I, it's a tough question when people say, what's your favorite subject? What's your favorite photographer, um, a photograph or subject? It's hard because I've been so blessed to have this experience late in life. And this is why I always tell young people, you know, if you really want to get into photography or any art and you're 16 or 18 or 20, just every waking moment of the day, do it. Because if I can get to this point, starting in my forties, imagine what you will be like in your forties. If you start in your twenties, you could be the next Andy Libowitz, you know, or next, uh, Anton Corbin, you know? Um, so for me, um, it's, it's just like right now, um, it's a great opportunity with all the technology and young people coming into this world are coming in with the, this amazing ability to do great work with limited equipment, you know, equipment is, mm -hmm. you know, I said, oh, well, I might give photography a go. And my first camera and a lens cost me seven or $8,000, you know, um, it's not like that anymore, you know, and you can do a lot of cool stuff with your iPhone. So, um, so the long answer to your question is I, uh, you know, of course I, I've made better friends with some people than with others. Other people who come and go, they're just kind of like clients, um, Daniel Radcliffe and his family became like a family to me. You know, I have an immense amount of uh, respect and love for Marcia and Alan, his parents, and an incredible respect for his work ethic is uh, off the charts, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, and I adore Alanis Morris-Bed. I love being on stage photographing with her. Um, you know, Jason's fantastic. You know, he's just gregarious and, and fun, you know, and just does silly things you know being on the set of star trek for me is you know the ultimate microphone drop you know right. star trek is the first show i fell in love with as a kid in the six, late 60s um and that stuck with me i've always you know and people always say are you star trek or star wars you know i'm you know star trek is the, the grandfather of kind of all science fiction you know oh, yeah. and along before everything um and there, there's this extra um, amazing sort of um, attachment that Star Trek has to being created by, well, not created, but being championed by a woman, you know. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for Lucille Ball, there would be no Star Trek. You know, she was the one that was behind the whole thing. She was the one that believed in Gene Roddenberry's vision. She's the one that saved it from, um, from cancellation. Uh, and, uh, you know, so... You know, you, you're talking about this incredible sort of um, sort of history to the show that was with me all my life. So, again, Star Trek as a kid is like for me, it might as well have been made on, in another galaxy. To me, to be on the set of Picard and meet these people that I grew up watching, or be on strand, you know, on um, Discovery, uh, and to me, that was kind of like okay, I'll, I, I'm good to go. I can get hit by a bus tomorrow, and I'll be happy with my life now that I've been on strand. So for me, I think getting back to your question, I think ultimately, um, the real sort of pinnacle for me, even though it wasn't a big deal, it was just being on set and taking portraits of these actors who are just actors and, and old people like us. But as a, a fanboy through and through, um, to me, the ultimate pinnacle in my life was to get to work on Star Trek. You know, I, 
and I have an immense, immense love to the people that um, made that happen for me. Yeah. yeah. yeah so. well, hearing you, hearing you speak about your admiration for sci-fi, for those dystopian mm-hmm. future uh, typos, uh, and your love for cold, you would be a perfect fit for Snowpiercer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, and I, and I know a few of the actors like uh, on the series, like Alex Pornovic is. Uh, Yes, a really yeah. good friend of mine. Um, he's, a, he's a legend, you know. Um, yeah, actually. Always... Uh, sorry for interrupting you, but actually, he's the reason why I found out about you because I saw you on one oh, of wow, really? stories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, you kind of forget um, the connection between people. And I recently worked with Stephen Ogg, who, you know, he's been in a lot of stuff, but, yep. you know, he was. Um, in, you know, most people know him for Walking Dead, you know, great mm-hmm. character. And I was yeah. a fan. The guy looks the same he, like Trevor yes. from GTA, from GTA. Sorry, yes. Strapping you yeah, yeah. Well, he, he is, well, he, yeah. that's his other claim to fame is, is GTA. That's what he was. And, uh, you know, he's this incredibly eclectic character as a human being, you know, and we had just had a lot of fun working together and clicked. And of course, you know, the minute I posted, you know, I didn't actually, didn't click that he was from Alberta and he knows, you know, he literally grew up in the same town as Trisha Helper uh, and then he's Canadian and of course, all the Canadian. So when he posted one of my pictures of him, Alex Pornovic was going, oh man, I can't believe you're working with Dennis Lovely. So and that's when I was, oh my God, you know Alex as well. Of course, all the Canadians know each other. Um, but yeah, Alex, uh, Alex, I've known him Oh my God, probably for, you know, 13, 14 years now. He was one of the first um, people I photographed as a portrait session in Canada, you know, um, like in 2009 or something like that. Um, And uh, that photograph, you know, being this 6'4 boxer type guy, um, you know, very rough and tumble, you know, uh, guy, very very delicate and very sensitive photographs of him and you know uh, and i've told this story before you know it's it's kind of like post battlestar galactic i was going back to canada every year and i did this photo shoot with him and uh and then um you know he posted this one of these portraits on facebook and literally you know the next day i had you know 50 direct messages saying hey can we do a photo shoot with you can i do a photo shoot with you can i do a photo shoot i was like okay you know uh I just was shooting every single day for like two, three weeks, you know, because of that one shot of Alex, you know, because I represented him in a very different manner that, you know, most people did. And he's, he's a super sweet human being, a fun guy. Um, I love photographing him because he's, uh, you know, he, he brings a lot to, he's a wonderful, wonderful actor. Um, I think, uh, you know, um, I think a really underrated actor too. Um, There are two people. Uh, there are two people of that of that sort of vibe. There's um, Mike Dopewood, uh, who's again like you know, uh, and and Alex are both sort of from our part of the world. You know, um, all these sort of Serbo-Croatian tall guys who are really wide and you know like being hugged by a bear made out of bricks. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I think those both both those guys uh, are just amazing, amazing actors that are just underrated in this world you know those guys should be leading yeah and also although the alex looks and uh, 
use this charisma like the gentle giant he actually comes from the line of yugoslavian boxing world champions so yes if he Absolutely. gets pissed he gets yeah. pissed <laughs> right yeah yeah no you know if, if i if i was uh in trouble or getting in a bar fight i would want him there with me the problem is that if I was getting in a bar fight, it would probably be because of him as well. So it's kind of like a catch twenty two. Uh no, I'm just kidding. He he is he's he's just a you know, for for those uh who who are um, lucky enough to know him well, he's a, a very sensitive person, a very kind, um a, you know, very sensitive human being. He just happens to be a really big guy, you know. And I think too, you know, if you're if you're He's a smart guy, you know. He's an intellectual as well. So if you are, if you're built like that, but you're, um, you're, you're smart, you know, and you're an empathetic, kind, sensitive human being, you, you're, oh, just you have a lot of range for great work as an actor, you know. Yeah, I love Alex. He's been a constant in my life, and you know, we will uh, randomly, you know text each other in inappropriate stuff yeah. and call each other names and make each other laugh all the time. Um, but yeah, he's a great yeah. guy. Yeah, uh, you you also mentioned Olmos uh, and we we had yes. uh, we had Stitch. Do you know Stitch Duran? He's a cat yes. man in yeah. MMA and boxing. And he spoke how yeah. almost everybody mistaking him from, for Olmos all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there can be uh, there can be that similarity depending on the the angle that you see. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it it is. Uh, it's funny actually. I was just working on my computer last night and I had the TV on, and there's a CNN documentary um, called you know the '60s, the '70s. Yeah, it's produced by Tom Hanks, and they, you know, for the '80s, they will you know there'll be like ten episodes about music, technology, film and television, politics, and all that. And last night it was the 2000s and um, it was about the um, the Rodney King, you know, the LA riots. And of course, bang, on my big screen comes Eddie, Eddie Almos, you know, and not many people, other people may know, you can look this up, but uh, literally, you know, he sort of heralded and started the big cleanup of Los Angeles, you know, and he was so distraught with what was going on. He just went out to the middle of the street in one of the very dangerous areas and started sweeping the glass off the streets with a broom, you know, by himself. And, um, you know, within a few hours, there was three or four people helping him. And then, you know, fast forward to towards the end of the day and there's hundreds and if not thousands of people that are all just committed to cleaning up the 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 destruction of the city which was started by him you know he's actually the kind of exclamation mark of the end of the la riots you know um it's really really fascinating he's such a um an enigmatic amazing human best as well and uh one incredible actor you know um i i just uh, uh, my favorite film of all time, like my desert island movie, is Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner. You know, and uh, even though I think, um, uh, you know, that's a film I've seen every, you know, there's seven or eight different versions. I've seen every one of those about thirty times. Um, and and as I think, if you look at um, Gaff Edwards' character on that in the original film, has a total screen time of about eleven minutes. You know, at the most. Yeah. And it's still one of the the most impactful characters in the film, you know. And 
uh, you know, a lot of people know Eddie from that era for Miami Vice, you know. Um, but for me, like I, I first noticed him in uh, in Blade Runner. That's when I kind of um, uh, fell in love with that human being, and then got to meet him on Battlestar Galactica, you know, in two thousand eight, and um, we became very, very good friends. We worked together on a on a project in two thousand sixteen um, to uh, influence, um, not influence, but to to get out there to the Latino culture in, in America that they must vote, you know, it was a bipartisan, bipartisan thing. It wasn't saying you must vote this way. It just said that this year is a very important year that you should vote. And one of my photographs of him was, you know, in bus stops and posters all over America. And, um, I directed, uh, with a friend of mine, we directed a TV ad, about the same thing, you know, with him with a lot of gravitas saying to the camera, you must vote uh, for a sticker too. And it's, I think it's considered one of the most effective voting campaigns in the history of the company, uh, country, you know, reached, you know, 50, 60, 70 million people, you know. So um, that's a, a thing that I was very proud of doing as a green card holder and not being able to vote um, to actually have an effect um, on um, voting in this country in that respect was uh, was a really proud moment, and that was all because of Eddie as well. You know, to walk around um, Los Angeles and see billboards with this image of him, you know, uh, you know, red, white, and blue, and Spanish playing this year, you must vote. You know, it was just fantastic. Right. So Eddie's, uh, yeah, yeah, one of my favorite human beings in the world is Edward James Olds. There are no rules but one. Drink Jägermeister at minus 18 degrees Celsius. We're back. Yeah. And so, I have a very special guest for you guys. Carl Urban has joined us for the interview. <laughs> if you want to ask doing, Carl? questions. All right, mate. Yeah. Yeah. I won't How use does words it... to use in the boys. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to use it. <laughs> Diabolical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how does it feel to work with Dennis? Wow, mate, he's awesome. He's a bit of a cut, but he's awesome. <laughs> At least he's out of it. Will you? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Australians, man, and he's in New Zealand, obviously. But it, it's funny because there's still always there's always a little bit of shock when people the c word in this country and uh, uh, in Australia that we just it's just like the word the or what you know we say it all the time. <laughs> It's a kind of a term of endearment, but uh, you, you can't really use it. Uh, oh, dude, you know, I, I like as I grew up, I was, I was shocked at how horrific, um, you know, Croatian swearing is. You know, it, <laughs> uh, it, it's oh my god, you know, like once I started yeah, learning what the stuff that might, yeah. Yeah, but like the stuff that would just roll off my dad's tongue to my mother, I, you know, that was, it was just blah, blah, blah when I was a kid about it. And then I learned, he said, what about my mother and a dog? <laughs> I mean, it's just horrible, horrible stuff, you know. Ah, oh, that's a classic, yeah, but, you know, so, yeah, yeah, so that's, uh, that's the culture, right? <laughs> of the languages I've had some knowledge of and learned that those are, Three or four besides my native, I still think my native language is yeah. by far the best in swearing. I mean, <laughs> you can destroy yeah. a oh, yeah. life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Just with the trick you come up with. It's diabolical. I know. It's diabolical. Yeah. Cool, but, cool. But can you answer me a $1 million question? Uh, everyone can make a great shot that can everyone be a great photographer. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, the, uh, there's a lot um, called into question about uh, just the the massive imagery that's coming out, you know, and polluting, you know, the internet, you know, just because of just the content that's created every day with iPhones and so forth. Um, I think everybody has the ability to express themselves in a, in a sort of an art, artistic form. And um, I, I, I don't ever believe in saying something like, um, not everybody can be a great photographer and not everybody can be obviously you know if you don't have a voice to be able to sing you're not going to be a singer but you can still you're still um a a unique and um and soulful human being that can create you know um you may not be able to sing but you your expression uh from what's in your heart and your your life experience can write a great song you know what i mean so i think uh i think we, uh, when it comes to photography, that becomes really, really subjective because uh, somebody can capture something by accident that is is amazing. So I think everybody has the ability to create um, a, an amazing image. I, I really do believe that. Whether they have the opportunity for that to be seen and appreciated is where where the difference lies, and um, where they you know, as I said there's there's a lot of content out there so finding the gems is a little bit more difficult now you know okay. um but uh i think uh yeah it's it's you know great i don't know what greatness is just uh, open to interpretation i myself you know I, I i try to understand art as i'm trying to you know work on one art photography and i will look at something something that's just uh, like a piece of sculpture or painting that is considered just incredible. And I go, that just looks like somebody took paint in their mouth and threw up on a canvas. You know, I don't understand it, you know, and I'm, so I'm trying to teach myself that, you know. Um, so, but I think everybody has the capacity to be a creative, um, uh, a creative human being, absolutely. You know, that's what we, we're born that way. We are you know, uh, naturally evolving, creating creatures. And um, I think a lot of it, unfortunately, just comes down to opportunity, you know. Well, it's time to wrap up and to uh, make you remember. Really? Some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and make you remember some Croatian words, but not the swearing one. But, you know, we have little tradition uh -huh. that we, <laughs> at the end of every episode, uh, translate a quote from Montenegrin language to similar to Croatian, almost same, uh, to English. And Luca prepared the quote for this episode. Yeah, I chose the quote wow. from uh, our uh, photography historian of photography in Montenegro uh, and professor at my university, Maya Juricin. Yes. She said on our language about photography, uh, photografia spaja dva potpuna ekstrema, objektivnost tehnike i metafiziku prolaznosti. Fotograf je istovremeno prepoznavanje u djeliću sekunde važnosti događaja i precizne organizacije oblika koji tom događaju daju odgovarajući izraz. And in English, it would translate. 
photography combines two complete extremes, the objectivity of technique and the metaphysics of transcendence. Photography is simultaneous recognition in fraction of a second of the importance of an event and the precise organization of forms that give that event an appropriate expression. Wow, that that's a that's an amazing quotation. It makes me feel like such a hack. <laughs> like, that's incredible. So this is your professor, like uh, you 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 studied under. Uh, under no, not my professor because she uh, she is uh, yeah. she's at my university, but she's a professor of art, and I'm yes. economics. We are we are oh, very right, yes. boring and with yes. the numbers. <laughs> There's nothing artsy about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but a good professor. <laughs> Uh, there's uh there's certainly i mean your your interest in in art is in itself very important you know and um allowing um people like myself to um express what we do and what we go through to get to where we are i mean bringing what you're bringing with everybody you're talking to is is hugely important because it's seeing stuff like this an alternate version of stuff like this in my younger day and uh, looking into it, it inspires you to take that path, you know. Um, yeah. And one of the greatest things we can do, especially at my point in my life, is know that I've, um, you know, something I've done or something I've said is, um, you know, been the, the linchpin to somebody to say, okay, I'm going to try this, you know. And mm -hmm. um, because we all we all get, you know, I'm sorry, I'm getting off track here a little bit. But we all get sort of pushed for whatever reason into areas of employment uh, and life that aren't our ideal thing that we want to be doing. You know, we want to, you know, I did the same, you know, I, I was getting jobs and studying courses in university and college, you know, to do things that I thought my parents would want me to be proud of rather than, I should have been studying photography and art when I was 18 and 19, not, you know, picking it up in my forties, but you know, I was did engineering and I did this and I did that, and um, none of it made me happy. You know, so if you can in, inspire, influence somebody to follow their heart, the most important thing you can do with your life in that eight hours a day that you have to spend working and earning money, if you are spending that time doing what you love doing, then your life is complete. You know, spending all that time during the day in a job you hate which I've been there and done that is the worst possible way to live your life. So but if anything you guys do inspire somebody to, to follow the ultimate dream and do what they love for a living, like what else do you need? You know, so, oh, yeah. you know, what you guys are doing is really important. So thank you for that. Too. Thank you. Thank you for helping us in achieving that. Yeah. yeah I always do. And I'm always happy to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I always will be used for uh, motivation quote from Squidward from Spongebob we do this for 40 years and then we die yes. and I don't plan on doing that <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely that's fantastic yeah. guys and and yeah. so wonderful to you know this is the wonderful thing about technology too it's so wonderful to be talking to you guys on the other you know on another continent you know um, oh yeah uh, in real time hopefully I'm not keeping you up past your bedtime because it's only what I can <laughs> use, so. not me but this one is on battery saving <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, I, 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 I try to live my life night. I usually try to get to bed by nine thirty these days, but I'm up at five. You know, I find that morning very productive. You know, workspace. So, but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate chatting with you guys. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, awesome. well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's really enjoyable talk, and you're welcome, as we said.
We stay genuine, uncensored and unscripted, and we always will, as we have to order our usual. Share us, subscribe us, and stay tuned until the next Wednesday. Iguzo!